When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Listen, if you're still living with bladder accidents, stop. It's time to get your life back. I was just like you until I found real relief with Axonix Therapy. It's not a pill or a pad. It's a clinically proven advanced treatment. Get started at findrealrelief.com. That's findrealrelief.com. Consult a bladder specialist to find out if Axonix is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to findrealrelief.com. Hello and welcome to episode 113 of What a Rooney, you fucky winker! So yeah, um, this uh, episode is with uh, Frank Cronin, who is, or Francis Cronin, for that matter, who is um, a comedian based in L.A., uh, but is doing an extraordinary thing in that he's going to walk from Galway to Dublin in aid of, uh, to raise money for homelessness. And uh, he's going to do it uh, with just bringing a sleeping bag and I think a change of clothes. And he's actually not even going to stay in. He's just going to sleep wherever he can outdoors. In, and then he's going to do that in um, from the 19th of December up until Christmas Eve. So that's, uh, I just don't know how he's, that's unbelievable. It's uh, cold and wet and windy out there. It could be frosty. But he's going to do it. Uh, I'll, I'll, and he's going to do gigs on the way from well, starting in Galway on the 19th and going all the way across doing gigs in Ballinasloe, Athlone, Kinnegad, Maynooth and arriving in Dublin then. So uh, that's who I'm chatting to. He's a, he's a guy, he's done a, a different walk before and uh, all that is contained in the uh, in the interview. So I know I haven't put a podcast out in a while. It's been quite a few weeks uh, just to have the time, I suppose. And uh, the last one I did was with Matthew Dunahill, who was directed a film uh, that I'm in called Wretch, which showed at the Carlo Film Festival recently. He flew over all the way from Kansas City to go to the Carlo Film Festival. I'll be honest with you, the festival was a bit of a damp squib. It is not an ordinary squib, or even a warm, dry squib, but a damp one. Um, but we had, I showed him around, uh, uh, brought him out to, to New Grange, but more impressive, perhaps, was Douth, spelled D-O-W-T-H, Another burial grounds, but undeveloped, uh, as in it's the way it has been for a long time. Uh, not, not uh, you know, you can just walk in there. You can't go inside. We, there is actually a tunnel there. There is like, a, 
on certain days it's open and on the um, winter solstice which obviously is coming up very soon uh, you can go to Newgrange at dawn and hope to see if the sun is not covered in cloud uh, shine right down and and light up the uh, burial chamber in Newgrange but in Douth on the very same day the winter solstice at sunset the sun should light up the burial chamber and it would do if the people who live next door to Douth hadn't planted a big line of feckin' cypress trees, which is interesting. But um, but we, we, we went up there, and the view from Douth, right across the Boyne Valley, is astounding. Went there at sunset, and it was absolutely amazing. I was amazed, amazed that this is just around the corner from me. And you know when you bring a person from another country is comes over and you want to show them around and uh, he was flabbergasted and amazed by this um and also there's an old kind of looks like a victorian red brick building there as well uh and the new grange of course as well jaw-dropping moment for him when he saw that and and just goes to show that was literally a 10 15 minute drive around oh from where i live and i never go there but it's just when you're showing someone around and then you go oh my god this is amazing i also brought him to the the head in the church the uh oliver plunkett's head which is 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 still uh, quite an amazing thing to see uh um so that was that weekend and uh and since uh the last podcast i guess i've been just gigging away doing earning a bleeding living you know and all around the country from galway to limerick to cork and enniskillen all over even over in edinburgh and glasgow just earning a living you know what i mean just just you know getting the old spondulics in because i'm um, but I'm building up towards uh, this gig in the Helix on the 11th of January, which I'll be shooting with the full camera crew. And uh, so if you are interested, tickets are shifting for that, all right. But we can do with some more people. Um, if you want to go there, just uh, if you want to buy them as a Christmas present, uh, for example, you want to have them in your hand, then you need to ring the venue on zero one seven hundred seven thousand at the helix and uh, then they'll send them out to you in the post otherwise you just book them online but you don't get a hard copy then you know what i mean so um that's the big one though uh and if you uh, want to support me in any way if you feel you owe me something you'd like to support me in any way that would be the way you could do it just get tickets for that show and go to it because no point in blade and buying the tickets and not turning up because i'm shooting the thing so i don't want your empty seats there do we i don't know why i'm doing uh, most of this introduction in a dublin accent no idea just happened so uh yeah that's it uh, the helix 11th of january uh show is called shut your cake hole i'll also be doing it uh in uh, the Civic in Tala and the Bell Table in Limerick uh, in uh, February, 14th of February in Limerick and um, the 27th of February in the Civic in Tala. Um, 
and I'll be doing the TED Fest this year as well. The 22nd of February, I'll be out there in the and the island. And I'll be DJing the night before in Massimo's as Father Demo, just playing a lot of stuff from the 80s, really. And I'll be doing a gig in the venue in in Nina. I'll be doing a gig in Nina on the 7th and the 6th. I'll be doing my toes. Anyway, that's one my gigs coming up. Here we go. This is Frank Cronin. Yeah. <laughs> How are you? Doing great, Joe. How are you? How good, are you? Yeah. yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to... Well, I'm I'm only doing a couple of gigs with you, but you're walking all the way from Galway to Dublin, which is feckin' insane. Yeah, there's a madness to it, and uh, I'm not too sure if I've bitten off more than I can chew. <laughs> but that's part of the, the whole thing. The reason it's called Rough Set, it's going to be pretty painful. Uh, but... If people see you suffering, then they donate a little bit more and they can kind of get behind the concept of what other people might be feeling in the streets. That's right, the plan. Yeah. Right. And uh, come here, because you've done this before. Like, let's go back, actually. So you're, 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 a, you're a stand-up comedian based in L.A., right? Yeah. And I've only done stand-up once or twice in Ireland, uh, mainly just doing it in L.A., San Francisco. Yeah. And I think I met you here in Kansas City one time. You yeah, were doing, we did. Me and you were doing a gig. Yeah, we did. We did a gig together in uh, in Kansas City. Yes, and and you also did the Kansas City Irish Festival this this year, didn't you? Uh, with uh, Chris Kent, is that right? Did you? I didn't make it this year. No, I didn't oh, make it this year. Okay. But maybe yeah. next year. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, did you start doing stand up in America then, or did you do it in Ireland at all? No. Uh, I did one gig in a. You know, like it was probably a bringer show. I, I brought some friends along and I did like five minutes with a load of Irish comedians. I can't remember the names right now. They were all just up and coming. And I did a yeah. few minutes and I failed dramatically. And then I thought, this is it. I found my calling. So I packed my bags and went to America and said, I'm in. I'm all in. Right. Yeah. Uh, so you went straight to L.A., was it? Uh, up to San Francisco first. I had a few cousins yeah. there who were doing comedy, so I jumped on the bandwagon there, and we hit the open mics like two or three a day. One of them was in a laundromat, you know, and so there's laundry, you know, being washed while people are trying to perform and mixed drinks being made in a blender. So it was the worst environment ever, but it makes you bulletproof, and you do mm-hmm. 500 of them, and then all of a sudden you're on a show with real humans in the audience instead of, you know, broken comedians doing laundry. And then... Uh, yeah, that, I've been going ever since, like, I guess. Uh, uh, is that how it works over there? There's, like, just comedy... When you're starting out, I mean, is this, like, uh, these comedy shows in all sorts of weird venues? Oh, yeah, dude. It's, it's, un- yeah. it's unreal. It's basically anywhere you can have a... Anywhere that anyone will let anyone put a microphone and there's a plug socket, they'll stick the, the amp into the wall, hand you a microphone, and call it a comedy room. And uh, uh, that's how, kind of, basically, you start out. You just kind of fail repeatedly for your listeners in front of people that you don't know in America. And they're all kind of looking down at their notes nervous before they go up. So you don't really mm. have an audience. And you do yeah. that over and over again. But in Ireland, what's, what's it like? It's a bit different, right? 
there, there's a lot more clubs now, I'd say, than uh, there was when I started. Well, there are definitely more than when I started out because there was actually one club <laughs> when I started out, and that was the uh, the Comedy Cellar in the International. I, yeah, uh, yeah. There wasn't anywhere else uh, for as far as I knew. Um, uh, but now there's loads of them, and a lot of them would be free. In now, I'm not. I'm not really doing them that much, so I don't experience that. I do when I'm when I'm say preparing material for writing new material. I would do s- smaller clubs just to try it out. But but the bizarre thing about it is is that those clubs are probably harder. So when you're starting out, you're doing you're doing the toughest venues. You could do so. Uh, so basically, as you get better, you get. I think you get easier, easier gigs. Exactly, and then you see it at the highest end. Is sometimes that you'll you'll see really, really great comedians. They'll try and go to these terrible rooms so that they can get a real read mm. on their comedy. And, you know, some some won't. Some will. You know, they'll. The Holy Grail is a room that's kind of similar every night with an audience demographic that's kind of similar every night, so that your jokes. <laughs> and your the happiness being received in the same way, so you can kind of plan ahead and not be, you know, adjusting so much on stage. But uh, mm. I think when you're coming up, it's pretty tricky to get any consistency in the room or reaction. Yeah. So it, it's a uh, yeah. You kind of pay the price at the top end, and then after that, it's pretty much. I guess it's joy. I don't fail so much. Less bombing. Yeah. You know. But yeah, I, it was similar when I was starting out. Actually, it was probably you would go to London. Like I, I would fly. I would have. I a few times flew over to London to do, uh, I like, I remember I flew over one time and I did maybe three gigs and one of them was in a wine bar with about 12 people in the audience and I was standing on an upturned uh, beer crate, you know. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then... Perfect. I know, Not yeah. playing into the stereotype at all. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And then... And then I did one gig out in a, a restaurant, like a like a pizza restaurant, but it was half of, there was a, an area that was a comedy club and the rest of it was just people eating and it was yeah. fucking ridiculous. I mean, because it's just ridiculous. You, like, you can't go it, well. It, that, like, it's a, almost, everything's against you, you know what I mean? Yeah, they have their back. They have their back to you, and then they look over their shoulder and go, "That was funny." And then they go back to eating. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. it's kind of brutal. Yeah, uh, it, it's it, but but it makes you bulletproof, doesn't it? It does something to your brain that allows you to uh, better understand better understand audiences and how to attack them and hit them from different angles to get them off kilter and then get them into your kind of world, create images, and then you get more succinct with your language and you get faster. Yeah, and then you get you you understand all the inflection and stuff. I can't imagine now. You've been doing it much longer than me, so you must see things like the Matrix that I don't even see. Because I remember when I was starting out, I thought I could see everything, and then five years in, you go, "My God, I couldn't even. Uh, I didn't even know there was rhythms. I didn't even know there was act outs. You know, I didn't even know there was. Oh uh, right, there's yeah. so much hidden stuff in comedy. Uh, yeah, know? I suppose so. I I uh, would. It's all intuitive in a way, so I, I'm not sure if I even could name what, what's happening. But um, uh, but I know that when I get up and do a gig in, and and there's people doing stuff like looking at their phone or talking, that I know I can deal with. I have to deal with that in a nice way without offending them. Yeah. And 
and then I and then I do my gig. But you know, you learn obviously because when you start out, I think also the adrenaline is so is so um, you're so full of adrenaline and that it's very hard to concentrate. Like you're absolutely buzzing. Like oh yeah, you know, so. and you, you can't get a real read on how you're actually doing because your brain is lying to you because it, it yeah. wants that endorphin hit that that yeah. rush of you know joy so you think you're getting big laughs and then you you go home or a year later you look back at a tape or you listen to a tape and it's like how did i think that was funny there was no one laughing but maybe there was one giggle in the room but your brain picked that up like a like a standing ovation you know when you're starting out and then oh, you're yeah. always looking to get that I, well for me i don't know but you just want people to go to um having a good time consistently throughout and yeah. uh, that's starting to happen more you know so that's yeah, a nice sure. Thing. And uh, do you uh, do you record your gigs and listen back to them or look back on them? Or that... Yeah, it, I, that's that's one of the things that they say here. I guess actually, now that I'm thinking about it, Joe, you grew up in a different culture of comedy because they break they break it down so much here, and then everyone talks about taping every set, going home, recording, rewriting. But the hardest thing I I find for me is to go home and listen to my own voice. Like you know, it's already bad enough, but add. Add moments where the set maybe wasn't working when you're working at a new bit, and that's pretty painful listening. It's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> it's brutal, dude. Yeah. I've done it a few times, but I tend not to do it. I find it really difficult. But uh, but it does it is it is a good idea. Uh, I remember you know, I remember listening back one time and I could hear myself going I think it was I had a a phrase that I kept saying anyway. That was it. I kept saying anyway. I said yeah. it about 50 times during a 40-minute set. I, was going, <laughs> I know, but it may be aware of that just to cut that word out, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, because because uh, people have these little inflections. They don't know they're saying it. They don't know they're doing it. And uh, and it can become a bit annoying, you know? Yes. Um, were, were there thousands of comedians or was there just a handful? Because now it's oversaturated. Here in America, it's like, my God, you go to a comedy club and there's a hundred comedians outside looking for stage time, you know? Uh, uh, yeah, it's kind of, I think it's similar here now, actually. It is, it is, yeah. A lot of people are doing comedy. A lot of people are, are not full-time, but they are doing a bit every week somewhere. But um, certainly that has changed. That has, the, when I started out, you kind of knew every comedian. <laughs> that was... Uh, there's no way that that you would know them all now, but um, and so when you go uh, then to LA and like I I've done a couple of gigs in LA actually with uh, years ago after I did the uh, Irish festival in Kansas I went to LA in Kansas City and it's amazing that you can uh, well I found anyway you could go into you could go into a club a small enough club in LA and see a really big act just trying out stuff I mean it's, it's phenomenal it's it's yeah, uh, yeah. It's a blessing and a curse because you, you see someone who is so nuanced and has been working for 30, maybe 40 years on the craft. And then mm. and they're making it look effortless in the way that you're supposed to. And you're starting mm. out. And so it's, it's great that you get that education. Like, for example, last night, if I went up to the comedy store, which is a mile from here, and then one mile from there is the Laugh Factory, and one mile from there is the Hollywood Improv, three of the biggest, most well-branded clubs in the world. And you can just walk mm. in there casually as an up, an up and coming comedian or a new comedian on the scene and sit at the back of the rooms and just watch these guys do their magic. They're like wizards. You know, you got like last night, for example, you could see on one stage Seinfeld, Theo Vaughn, Joe Rogan, uh, 
Wow. Crazy, like lineups, maybe eight, nine heavy hitters that could fill 2,000 seats, Chris D'Elia, 5,000 seats, you know. Or even Kevin Hart mm. might drop by and there's talk that Eddie Murphy's going to drop by within the next month because he's getting back into stand-up. So there's all that excitement. Like Dave Chappelle will mm. drop in 10 o'clock at night and go for two, three hours, you know. It's insane. Really? And yeah, dude, it's, it's unreal. So you're just watching these megastars. Like I've seen Kevin Hart. Uh, I got bumped from a show. He, he rocked in and just did two hours, you know. So it's like it's, it's exciting. Uh, but the, the stage time is so competitive that you've got these B and C classrooms that that even in the B and C classrooms, people are fighting, what's, you know, for the stage. Time. What's B and C? Sorry, what's B and C? Oh, so, so you get the like the top tier clubs like the Laugh Factory, the Comedy Store and the Improv, world renowned comedy store names in the comedy business. And then outside of that and, and Flappers Comedy Club. And then outside of that, you have these smaller rooms that you can kind of work out. And hopefully then you get a shot at the title at the bigger rooms, the more well-known rooms where they'll put you on the marquee. They'll, make, they'll send you in the poster and then you get bragging rights on your Instagram, you know, because these are mm. these are mm. accolades in America that, that like to play certain rooms in America is such a privilege because you, you really do have to compete almost to get into those rooms, which makes you get mm. your set super tight. But also sometimes it, it, it can stifle people investigating who they really are because they're afraid that Bill Burr is going to go up and they're going to have to follow him just like, you know, so they have to have a tight 10 or a tight 15 minutes. And uh, mm. sometimes, you know, the Irish, I think, were better storytellers in, in many respects. So sometimes mm. there's more long form and you need more than 10 or 15 minutes to really get the audience on side. So it's, it's, a, it's a little different mm. world. It makes you write more densely, I think, over here from what I've mm. seen. But the storytelling yeah. in Ireland seems much more captivating to my brain, you know. Yeah, to a certain extent. But I do think that America is the home of stand-up. It's where the best stand-up comedians come from. They, they, they've been doing it for far longer than we've been doing it over this side. You know? Yeah, and there's systems here. They've got, you know, it's 350 million people who all every now and then need a little break from reality. So there's hundreds of maybe even thousands of comedy clubs across the country and you can you can get into a route uh, if you're good enough you can travel the country maybe a, a year at a time just doing club after club after club and that would be oh, hard yeah, maybe have, to do you know have you done that have you gone uh, uh, traveling around like yeah things? i've had i've had two little two little runs um i did mm. like maybe 20 states uh, with a, with a i was in this viral video group a few years ago, it was called Equals Three. And the, guy, the main guy, Ray, had a huge following online. And he was able to put like three or 400 people in, in a room anywhere in America. So we, we would fly out, do two, three shows, fly back. So I got to see a lot of America that way. Like, uh, mm. And it truly is. It's a continent, man, with different, different sensibilities, different political beliefs, you know, certain voices, certain, certain accents, certain things good, bad, in, mm. in different places. So it, it does force you. And then if you go back to Ireland and try and do a gig, you know, you have to hone your language to wherever you are. So it does make you pretty agile and, 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 and makes you hone in on a comedy that works uh, kind of across yeah. the board, you know what I mean? As opposed to just playing to one demographic all the time, which is... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, that's kind of similar uh, to any comedian. I mean, if you start out in Ireland and you've got all these references to fucking Irish TV and Irish towns. And, yeah. And you go to L London. I mean, you gotta you got to start writing 
with the universal. With keeping your own, talking about your own life, but not referencing things that people don't know what you're talking about. You know? Yeah, that's our, exactly exactly what everyone's trying to do. Mm. And then I guess mm. here, I don't know about you uh, over there, but everyone's re- trying to get to that type five minutes for, say, Conan or Fallon. And then you send in your tape and then the booker in, in theory calls you back and says, on this date, you're going to perform on late night TV in America and do five minutes. And then for, <laughs> for like six months up to that, you're doing the same five minutes in, in the clubs. Now, I haven't done that yet. That's that's the holy grail for me. I'm reaching for that a little because uh, if you get a late night credit, you're kind of the game changes over here for you. It's uh, seen as an Yeah. Actor. And then it's just you're like, that's big. You know, pretty much catapulted into big time. Oh, well, probably I, not that dramatic, but well, it means well, you could definitely cross the country as a headliner alone and make, or or at mm-hmm. least a featuring act alone, being paid and accommodated and fed, and that that not always very well. But then you're really then yeah. you're starting to like triple uh, uh, your exposure to new potential fans and and all that kind of stuff, and that's really where the mm. the fun is. You know, if, if you have a good show and after the show you pick up in every town, an extra 10 or 15 people who think, oh, if he comes back, I'm going to bring a friend. And then the next year, it yeah. builds and it builds. And in theory, you do a Kevin Hart. <laughs> you mm. do a Kevin Hart yeah, like yeah, yeah. 20 years in and 15,000 people who can barely hear you. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But that's the dream, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that, and that's the con- only country that you can do that in so massive so large but um so what i was going to say so you you're you're coming over here to do these gigs you're you're walking across ireland to raise money for homeless but you've done a few other things before so first of all did you live in a tent for a year is that correct (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah the final year of university i lived in a tent uh hidden away on the nuig campus on the galway university campus and uh, the reason I did it, really, to be honest, I, I had left. I was in the Irish Army for a while and I'd saved up a load of money. They give you a little extra if you um, if you go overseas. And I had done a stint mm-hmm. in Liberia. So I had what what seemed to me, because, you know, growing up with not massive amount of money around, it, it felt like a mm-hmm. load of money. So me and a friend uh, opened some restaurants in Mexico. You can do it kind of like 30,000. We, we opened one. <laughs> Uh, he had married a Mexican girl yeah. and he needed a, a job. And then uh, and then I realized, uh, you know, that was kind of settled. And my my mum really wanted me to finish the college degree just in case everything fell through. God bless her wisdom. And uh, mm. so I went back. But then I realized all the money was we were trying to put a patio in in the bar in Mexico. So rather than just give up, I said, I'll, you know what I'll do? I like making YouTube videos. And I like camping and I like all that adventure stuff. I'll just start documenting it. And that was kind of like everyone was vlogging. It felt like a good idea. And I was in my head, rather than fail, I was turning kind of a negative into a positive. And then I really enjoyed it, you know, and the feedback was really positive. And I got people talking about like, wow, I guess you can like circumvent your problems with in novel ways. And that that just I just thought, Mm -hmm. okay, well, it was kind of it was a stunt. And, but it was a practical stunt and it was something I enjoyed doing. And it kind of made me really interested in getting into entertainment because the feedback was very positive. Uh, so I did seven mm. and a half months and uh, thankfully got the degree. Didn't first class it because, you know, I don't know, tent, but uh, finished, yeah. it, finished it and uh, made some friends, kept the mother happy. And then uh, as a result of that, 
started making videos for like um I did a little bit for the Red Bull cliff diving and that went all right. And then I did a bit for a live outside. They do those hell and back runs. And then I was realizing that there's money in showbiz and that I like doing it. So why not do what I like where there's money? And lo and behold, stand up comedy appeared. And then here I am right. talking to Joe. Yeah. Right. And and so, I mean, are you seven months in a tent? Is that like, are you, you obviously, where do you wash? Like, oh, yeah. Well, the first. Go to the toilet. <laughs> yeah. It was, so I figured that if I got, I went, went online and I was looking up uh, how people kind of do it. And, and everywhere was repeated. Get a gym membership, live within a half mile of the gym. Because if you right, have a gym right. membership, that becomes a place you can go if you're in, <laughs> especially if it's a late yeah. night gym, it's a place you can go. You'll always have a place to hang. And yeah. uh, guess what? It's conducive to fitness and cleanliness, which, right. is, which is one of the hardest things to keep up. So before you know yeah. it, man, your first stop every morning, it became my life actually became better when I moved into the tent because all of a sudden I'm in the gym before class every morning because I can't be the smelly kid at the back of the class. Yeah. So I'm going in with fresh teeth and, and, and after a workout in the morning. So it actually benefited me. I probably would have flunked out if I hadn't, you know. Because it made me super focused. And how did you eat then? How I mean, well, uh, how did you cook? Did you cook? No, I actually, I didn't cook at all. I didn't cook at all. For yeah. The, yeah. So it was all just, it was a lot of, uh, you know, uh, breakfast rolls and uh, and just oh, bana- yeah. bananas and oranges. So the money I saved on rent, I, di- I didn't mistreat myself when it came to food. I, I, uh, I ate well, mm. uh, but, you know, without spending too much. You're saving money on rent. That's unbelievable, though. Fair play. Um, and <laughs> oh, we had a few guests uh, in there. I would have got you into the tent for interviews. It was going so well, and the media, you know, picked it up and tried to make it about whatever political thing they wanted to make it about housing or whatever. But I was just trying to show a positive way of dealing with a problem, you know. But I, I didn't realize yeah. at the time housing was becoming a massive problem, and I didn't realize homeless yeah. was becoming a massive problem. Homelessness, and then. Uh, yeah, man, it 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 it. Uh, we had Des Bishop drop by, Owen Colgan from the Hardy Books drop by, and I would have loved to have you if I'd known you. We could have done interviews oh, in the right. tent, you know. Absolutely, would have loved that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we'll do something this time anyway. But uh, and then uh, you recently was it walked from San Francisco to LA. You walked from San Francisco to LA. Yeah, that's really. I've driven that, and it's fucking far drive. I think it was. Seven hours drive or something. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, it's it's. There's a part of there's a part of my brain, man. I think, I think a lot of comedians have it. I'm not maybe to different extents or it manifests in different ways. But you know, stand up's not easy. There's a mindset of like walking into the wind or making, like you only get good at stand up by toughing it out, you know. And uh, and then that mindset, it, it, a lot of cross country runners or or uh, you know people who like to put their head down and, and wade into something difficult so that mindset's there mm. and we were always camping as kids so me camping in a tent wasn't a big deal because as kids for the summer we just go and camp in a forest or on a cousin's farm down the country you know so it yeah 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 and the 40 and what about being in with the army as well have have uh, oh that was the icing on the cake yeah at, at, at that yeah. point I, I was already pretty good outdoors and uh very comfortable outdoors and then the army helped me kind of be more sneaky outdoors i was in the i was in the uh, uh what the cavalry uh, <laughs> which is the non-horse version in the irish uh, 
army and you know they teach you how to sneak around and and bivy up and, and hide under bushes so it just i oh, thought really? yeah so i thought yeah it's pretty intense man the irish army's you know you'll dig a hole and live in it for two three weeks and then you'll come out the other side and go home and take care of your kids it's a gnarly lifestyle you know if you ha- if you have kids. Oh, is that what you would do as part of your training yeah oh yeah so. Man. yeah so there's when you go into the irish army you do like eight weeks up top basic training and that kind of toughens you up and they'll put you on the ground you dig a hole a trench live in it and carry out like things like reckeys up the mountains and river crossings in the middle of the night two hours sleep a night for weeks on end and then if you go mm. if you go to become an officer they'll do that to you for like 21 months except you know interstitially they'll break in living on the ground so you really do become an outdoors person like uh, it's you don't suffer mm. like say you, you just have a lot of coping mechanisms and ways of changing your clothes and moving things around and administering yourself that make walks like 40 day walks from SF to LA possible. So it, it mentally, I knew, I knew it would be a good stunt to raise money for a charity. Uh, and I, I knew it would be very compelling to watch because for a lot of people that would be out of their comfort zone. But if you're, if you like the outdoors and you've grown up, it, it's, it's a, it's more of an adventure on my end, you know? Uh, with a, with a yeah. certain amount of risk, things can definitely go wrong, and, and they did, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Did they? Uh, first of all, I would imagine it's really hot, right? I, I don't know it's what ab- time of year you did it. Oh, dude, it's roasting, yeah. So it's roasting in yeah. general. So I waited till Christmas because there's no mosquitoes flying around, and as they love me for some yeah. reason, I don't know, fucking addicted to my uh, blood. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm similar as well. They they love me as well. Yeah, mm. <laughs> I can't blame. Yeah. And uh, and then um, yeah, man, that was that was it. So th- there was it was cold enough, but not too cold. Although at night, sometimes four in the morning, you'd, you'd wake up with the cold in your bones. You'd have to walk around. But that was the worst it got, you know. And you start experiencing mm. cold in a different way too. If you're after one or two weeks, the cold isn't at the start. Your body's kind of like. Ah, what are you doing? This is, and you, you feel it as a stress in your brain, and your uh, your thinking is a little clouded. But after about two weeks, mm-hmm. your body stops stress, and it starts stops uh, producing those kind of hormones that stress you out, and it just says, "Oh, you're literally going to do this forever." Okay, I'll relax then. And then after about two mm-hmm. weeks, you just wake up cold. You don't you don't have that anger or that you know that that pain that comes with really cold. You just um, mm-hmm. you become more ro- robotic, I think. And, if you if you live out and then, uh, I guess that's just that's interesting. It is, man. So you're not you are still cold, but you're not stressing about it. Is that what, it, is it, that what you mean? Yeah, it's surreal. You acclimatize. You know, you acclimatize. It's like some people say. What I learned as well is, um, if you're homeless in a big city, now I wasn't homeless, but the people I was I was doing it for the charity. Obviously, I, I don't want to claim anything. I'm not a homeless person. I just I got a taste of what it would be like looking from the outside in. And in the cities, it's extremely stressful uh, to try and sleep because your brain is going, there's humans around, there's humans around, they're strangers, they could hurt you, and you're going to sleep. Mm. But as soon as you mm. leave the city and you go out into the country, it's just this absolute calm and connection with it. Like, I don't want to be too, you know, Hollywood, but you start to mm. kind of uh, be, be, feel more grounded and less distracted there's less advertising you're looking at leaves and trees and you're moving and your brain is kind of as you walk 40 days you start to realize that walking is the natural way you're supposed to experience the world because all the information comes at you at a a pace that's really enjoyable as opposed to this you know spinning around at 60 miles an hour 
trying to find parking and all that kind of stress. So mm. there's there's a good and a bad side to the to being alone out there and uh, the silence as well and the peace and the lack of distractions. And if there's no cell phone coverage for a day or two, just that absolute isolation allows your brain to kind of maybe just calm down and restructure some thoughts and kind of maybe give you some mental clarity on things that you didn't even know maybe you were trying to figure out. And after the walk, I felt almost, I definitely, it was like it's Frank 2.0. I had experienced something. No, I wouldn't say <laughs> maybe a moment at slightest, slightest moment or taste of, uh, of enlightenment, or at least I know yeah. that meditation or silence is something that I need to incorporate into my life. And I thought people were full of it before that and then i when i got yeah. out there i realized oh no all the answers are out there like not the mathematical answers but the the just who you are and and, all, and what you should be doing your body knows and your brain mm. knows and that little voice would tell you yes or no to something becomes louder when you spend time with it in silence and you you get a better mm. sense of who you are and what you want you know so why that's interesting. I mean, with some of it, what you were saying there it reminds me of something like, Sam, you know, Sam Harris, a uh, uh, big uh, believer in meditation and all that. Yeah, yeah. And he'd say that it, meditation would be, it, the, the good thing about meditation is that you are in the moment. So even if you're in pain, you're not thinking, because m w the worst thing about being in pain is you're thinking, I'll be in pain for the next day. <laughs> yeah. But if you're not thinking that, you're just thinking of the moment, the actual, even pain itself is less. It, do you know what I mean? I, I do. There's, it's almost, it's like right now, say me and you, Joe, and, and the listeners, we're distracted by our phones or we're distracted by the screen in front of us and all the other stuff going on around us. But when we only have a certain amount of attention, like it's a scarce resource, and we have to apply that for the finite amount of time we have on the planet to execute on what we want to do. So if we want to be comedians, a certain amount of attention that, that's required. But when you're completely alone and in silence, you just have all this bandwidth. And it's, it's like bandwidth. Now, here, look, this is going to get a little kooky, but <laughs> here's the theory, right? We're in this. We don't know where inspiration comes from. But we know that we seem to sometimes be inspired when we're sitting on the jacks or under a tree and an apple falls in our head or just some silence around. So we're like this antenna yeah. that is kind of covered in all the, this is my theory at least, that we're covered in all the baggage of life and the stresses of life and the distractions, the cell phones, the car needs to be serviced, all that crack, right? And then yeah. you, you, you get yourself away from that, pull yourself away from the, the omnipresent screens, and then all of a sudden there's less clutter and less garbage hanging on you, and you're just this much better antenna for this stream of inspiration. And so, right. so your, your, your ability to think clearly is just tenfold. So you can, you can see what you want to do and you can actually, my writing became better and my understanding of self became better. And that was after just 40, 41 days. And the first 10 days were a nightmare though. It was the exact opposite. I thought I was falling apart, you know? And just, right. So it just takes that long for you to adjust, is it for your mind to adjust or your body to adjust? Yeah, and there's definitely something after yeah. about 28 days, 27 days that yeah. that yeah, that happened in the tent too. Uh, you just you you stop worrying about everything you were worrying about after about three weeks. All the stuff that's new, your brain just goes, oh, that's over now. That's not new anymore. 
I'm now adjusted. And I think that's the same with addiction and stuff. They talk about 23 or 28 days, if you can get there, 30 days, that, that things start to calm down and get easier, you know? Right, yeah. And you did 41 days, which is almost exactly what Jesus did. I was, I was, hit, I was yeah. about to hit it at 40, and uh, my dad told me, here, slow down or you'll be, you know, you're in competition. You know, you're you're gonna people are gonna start saying stuff. <laughs> no, dude. Yeah, I've no I've no I've no ideas of grandeur, but it was it was weirdly it was it was a spiritual experience, man, because you're out there uh if spiritual is a thing, I don't know, but you're out there and it feels yeah. wild, dude, you know. It feels everything is high definition, like the leaves and the trees are it's trippy, you know. If you're alone at long yeah. enough, things just matter more. Everything around you matters yeah. more. You have a deeper connection because you're that that kind of desire for connection is, instead of humans, it's looking at trees, you know? <laughs> like, right, yeah. But now you're, like, going on this walk. Uh, are you, like, so it's winter. It's yeah. going to be fucking cold. You're actually walking. How? Where are you going to? Are you staying in hostels, though, or something? No, no, that's the one thing. No. Think, no, so the one thing is there's no tent and there's no me, no, I can't sleep indoors. So the... I have this waterproof bag from, I stroked it from the army, let's be realistic, right? So I have a, water, <laughs> I have a waterproof bag and uh, I have very warm clothes and I have a set of other very warm clothes. And that's really all you need to survive. And you interchange them as most people who spend a little time outdoors. Now you change them like at the right time and then you're good. And then during the, in the morning you get into your wet clothes, which is the most horrible part of the day. But then your wet clothes dry off as you walk. And then you've got your other dry clothes are back in your bag, ready to go when you're ready to jump into the bag. So really, all you need, oh, yeah. all I'm going to bring is a mat, a waterproof sleeping bag, and then it'll be doorways under trucks or wherever I can find a roof that isn't walled off. That's the or like a, or a barn. Like I'll jump into a barn. I'm not gonna if I see a hay barn, dude. Ah, I'm yeah. in. I'm in. Especially on Christmas Eve. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Just uh just like uh, Jesus, yeah. Again, but, uh, <laughs> I don't. Stop it. If you knew how little I, the the inside voice thinks I'm like Jesus, you <laughs> I'm a oh, yeah, lost yeah. soul, if anything, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But Jesus, though, fair play. I can't believe you're doing this. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Well, it's it's silly and stupid, but the fact that you're coming on uh, the first show in Galway, which is kind of like the launch show, me, you, Carl Spain, and we have a special guest, that makes me feel. That makes me feel yeah. good, you know. It's starting off with some of the best, man. So I, I feel like that's a good start, you know. Right, yeah. So just to clarify, you're starting off in Galway, and but you're doing a gig every night, isn't that correct? All the way across as, as many, Ireland. Yes, as many as I can lock in. Right now I have a, okay. a lady called Ali O'Rourke who's trying to get me some locations in Ireland, yeah. and she's reaching yeah. out everywhere. And if we don't... So we're... It, it's uh, if we don't oh, get sorry, them, I'll ahead. do it in a house. I'll, I'll do it. whoever invites me into their house. We'll put on a show. But uh, right. it's okay. right now. It's Salt Hill diving boards in in Galway. You swim in there, a uh, little like you know that's the first little gathering. And then the Roisin Dove at eight o'clock on the eighteenth. And then it's Athenry, uh, Ballinasloe, Athlone, mm. Tullamore, Kinnegad, down the canal into Dublin, uh, or Maynooth. And down the canal into Dublin, Grafton Street. Hopefully, going to meet up with some uh, heavyweight buskers on New on Christmas Eve. I, can, I can't Bono. say. Yeah, it was Bono. supposed supposed to be, but it's not guaranteed. 
So I'm a little okay, nervous yeah. about that. But that'll be an exciting. That's the the unknown makes it much yeah. more compelling viewing. <laughs> and then yeah, uh, yeah. Sandy Cove, then in the, into the 40 foot for a swim on Christmas Day at noon, where there'll be lots of people anyway. And it'll be and then it's home for Christmas dinner. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, uh, I'll def- I'll be in Galway. I think I'll be. I will be at the one in Kinnegard as well. But I, nice. uh, there might be another one or two as well. But I just happen to be actually doing other gigs. Well, as any- well so well, I can't. I can't do all of them. Yeah. Um. Well, anyone you can come along to Joe, it'll be it'll be great, and it'll be very welcome. Um. I can't actually. Okay. I can't do it on my own. So it's going to be great to have anyone. Anyone who wants to jump on stage, any Irish talent. That's the the goal is to like. I'll have a camera crew with me. I'll be you'll be able to track me on satellite. So if anyone wants to come out and walk, they can walk. Uh, at night, right. I'll turn it off so I don't get egged, especially coming into Dublin. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but uh, but other, but otherwise, but, uh, man, I'll be churning out content every day to try and raise money for the Simon community, and that's, that's the major goal. Okay, so where could we follow what's happening? Uh, Instagram, I suppose, and Twitter and all that. Where, yeah. How could we follow you? Yeah, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram will be uploading content. What's your Francis? What's Cronin. your address? Yes, if you Francis put, Cronin, yeah, yeah. And if you put there FrancisCronin.com, you can jump uh, jump on there and sign up uh, to to walk or carry a bucket for the Simon community. And uh, if you want to check out the dates, all the dates for the gigs are on Facebook. Uh, and otherwise, if anyone just has an idea or wants to get involved or wants to perform. Hit me up, and you can, you know, yeah. we'll jump, throw you on stage if you're, if you're ready. Okay, that's class. Okay, well, listen, thanks for chatting with me. I know I got you up early in the morning, <laughs> eight a.m., but you're probably happy enough because you're actually in a house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <No>. exactly. <laughs> exactly. I know. Yeah. I know. No, I'm. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm actually house house sitting a friend's. Uh, uh, in LA, yeah. there's a lot of houses that are vacant, and I'm house here so it's going to be a stark contrast uh oh yeah. all right I'm, yeah. I'm just mind, just minding it you know walking the dog but uh yeah there's a huge, all right, yeah. yeah it's this beautiful house and it's going to be kind of painful to go straight from this to <laughs> the streets yeah jeez fair play to you it's unbelievable what you're doing i'm like have you kind of have me convinced a little bit to do something and find my spiritual self but uh <laughs> It's all right. It's all very well saying it. <laughs> Just doing um, it. Well, Joe, you might if if you if you have a little bit, if you want to walk a few meters or a few miles, you'd be very welcome. I know you're mad into the running, uh, so. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. No, I could definitely do a bit of that. Yeah, I could do a bit of the walking and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of doing a bit more uh, this circuit training now because I kept getting calf injuries and all that kind of crap. But I'd like to get back into the running again. So. That would be a help. Well, yeah. I'd walk. I'd walk, I guess, yeah. I don't <laughs> yeah, you go, hey, do you want to come out? And then you just sprint off. Be great. Then hey, just Joe, head Joe. off, leave you behind, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, here, yeah. do you know, that it is, I'm very grateful to you, Joe, because I know it's Christmas and I know you're working and you're gigging and the fact that you're making time to come out is uh, to help the charity, Simon Community. I appreciate it. They really do. Ah, sure, you know yourself. Do and we're do and just to get people, get a bit of love from an audience. Well, well yeah, there's truth in that. You there's truth I mean? in that, and there's part part of why I'm doing uh, it is you know because I love doing the comedy. But when you know when you marry what you love mm. doing with uh, with something that actually does something for someone else, you don't feel so bad, and and it feels I feel. Pr- 
great for once. Not I'm, I feel useful, you know, because you know, you, you sometimes you're just like, hey, I can't always just be doing stand up, you know. I got to be at least useful to, or you know, you know what I mean. It's it's a hard balance to find right. a sense of yeah. sense of meaning in life. So that's what I'm trying to do. Try and leave this planet. I haven't done something, you know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> nice one. Wow, you're fucking doing plenty. Yeah. Well, listen. So uh, I'll talk to you anyway in the meantime. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Joe. there and uh, so that's a good cause so if you see him walking around please uh, welcome from Galby to, to, to Dublin you want to join him for a bit of the walk you can do that and you want to go to any of the gigs there will be uh, they'll be uh, put up online if you go on his Instagram it's at glowpunk glowpunk g-l-o-w-p-u-n-k and uh, you'll find all the details there uh, that's it, you know, and uh, also uh, there's a calendar, I mean, uh, in uh, it's for uh, the National Tree Council as well. That's available online, and it's uh, me in the nip on the cover. Uh, just totally in the nail it with a load of um, people standing around me who are not in the nip. So uh, you could... Uh, I don't know how you get that calendar. Hang on, I'm just trying to figure out. How do you order that calendar at all? Uh, I think you, you can pay for it using PayPal and get it sent to you. Uh, anyway, it's called, it's the Louds Tree Calendar 2020, all in aid of the Tree Council of Ireland. And yeah, you can go on PayPal dot me backslash loud tree calendar it's 10 euro excluding p and p that's post and packaging or you can go on the um go on my facebook and you'll find some details about that yeah so that's it uh, uh i'm sure i'll do one more uh at least before christmas maybe a couple uh i i, I do know i will be doing one with the band i am car crash band uh so uh, there you go yeah talk to you good luck boy Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today.